everybody. Um, we are back. Um, I'm Shannon. I'm the staff rep at the Daily Californian. And I am Harry Tungal. Uh, I cover comic books for the arts department. And this is the third iteration of our Game of Thrones podcast. And we are here to talk about the second episode of season eight, um, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. And uh, Shannon and I usually have like similar Game of Thrones opinions, um, but... This week's a little different. Not today. Um, we are at odds, like certain monarchs in Westeros. Um, I love this episode. Uh, just a bunch of people talking in rooms, drinking wine, being weird. Um, and I think that's the kind of stuff that I, I really like out of the show. Um, it was all just really wholesome. Well, okay, most of it was, not all of it. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty fan servicey, um, and I fully admit that, but I love it anyway. I was not a fan. I was really bored. It was just a bunch of characters talking in rooms, <laughs> drinking beer, being weird, or so drinking attacked. wine, excuse me. But no, literally, like, nothing... Okay, I won't say nothing important happened in this episode, because there were a lot of character moments that were really satisfying and that we've wanted for a long time, but... To me, it felt lazy to put those all at the same time just because they needed to kill some time before this big battle. I would have rather seen um, really elegant conversations like that spread out throughout the season, um, and that may have made them more powerful to me um, rather than just getting them all at once in a way that was, like even Harry admits, felt very fan y to me. Yeah, I think it was almost like this is a natural extension of the first episode, um, and I almost feel like... Uh, you know, you could have just smushed this episode and the first episode together for like a two hour kind of uh, setting the pieces, like getting everything out of the way before the rest of the season gets underway. But it's more just kind of like, can people stand two hours of like table setting? Um, but if it's as good as this episode, then I'd say yes. Um, but that's just me. Yeah, I, I do agree with the fact that it would have been better to maybe merge one and two together. Um, I feel like one did a lot of things um, really well that two didn't and vice versa. Um, so in that way, yeah, I've kind of, I, I felt redundant a little bit. Um, but with that being said, there is still plenty to unpack in episode two, and we will jump right into that. Yeah, uh, kind of like last week, uh, we've got a line-by-line -line summary uh, via Wikipedia, um, and I guess we can dive right in. Yeah. So Jamie is brought before the Northern Court. Daenerys and Sansa both contemplate Jamie's fate. He defends his actions as being in service to House Lannister and reveals that Cersei was lying about sending her army. Brienne vouches for Jamie, and this allows Jamie to fight for them. Jamie speaks with Bran in the Godswood and apologizes for trying to kill him, but Bran holds no anger towards Jamie. So definitely the funniest part of this whole segment was John at the end just being like, you know what? We just need everybody we can get. <laughs> and just like, that is like the lamest, like of all the reasons to keep Jamie alive, that has to be the lamest reason. Um, <laughs> but it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was pretty funny. Um, I think uh, kind of watching some of the behind the scenes um, like shorts that HBO put out, it was kind of out of John being still really shaken by the reveal of his parentage um, and all that stuff at the end of last episode. So I, I guess his pithy kind of response of just like, I guess we'll let Jamie yeah, be on our side. Yeah, he's got is, bigger things on his plate. That's fair. Yeah. Um, 
So, but yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. And everyone's reaction was kind of interesting because on the flip side, Danny was very upset and very angry and was like, I want to freaking filet mignon this guy. <laughs> um, and doesn't even really acknowledge that her dad definitely had it coming. Like, she's really just... Um, and it kind of is a flag towards this whole theory about Danny maybe becoming the Mad Queen, and um, that might lead somewhere interesting. But I was definitely concerned when she was not at all um, open-minded about Jamie being there. Yeah, it's almost kind of like the opposite of what we've been led to expect, um, that Danny is someone that rules with, um, you know, with an open mind uh, who kind of, um, does things, you know, in an orthodox way. Um, so that definitely kind of uh, adds fuel to the fire that she'll be the Mad Queen. Um, but yeah, definitely Danny doesn't seem uh, like she's on track to uh, kind of become the ideal, you know, queen that we, uh, that we might have previously expected. Yeah, and also though that being said, I um, I almost don't really blame Danny for tr- distrusting Jamie at this point because it does seem very strange to me that this episode really does play into the fact that Jamie is still in love with Cersei and there's conversations between him and Tyrion that indicate as much. And Cersei is, as far as we know, pregnant with Jamie's child. And so it does seem very out of character for Jamie to leave that all behind, not only abandon it, but also actively jeopardize his family and the love of his life. Um, So I kind of question Jamie's motives a little bit here. Even though we know historically he's not the most strategic thinker in that way, but maybe he's learned a thing or two from hanging around Cersei and Tyrion so much. Yeah, um, that would be kind of the ultimate Game of Thrones dramatic irony rug pull of like... um, because we kind of trust Jamie through Brienne at this point. So for him, if he betrays the North um, in some fashion, then that's also a betrayal of Brienne and, you know, uh, by extension, the emotion that we have uh, invested in that relationship. Because um, Brienne does stand up for Jamie. She's the one that pretty much keeps Jamie from uh, getting torched, like, on the spot. Um, but yeah, we can get to more Brienne stuff later. Um, worth noting for the folks who uh, weren't so sure that Cersei is actually pregnant or not, uh, Jamie does seem to confirm this, but uh, don't know if we can still uh, trust him or not. Yeah, it would not be the first time that Cersei has pulled... I mean, though I would say it's not the first time that she's snowed Jamie, but, I mean, Tyrion points it out himself that Jamie's always known exactly what Cersei's up to, Um and so I think we can trust at this point that Cersei is pregnant. So I will stop bringing up that conspiracy <laughs> until I'm proved otherwise. All right. Uh, moving right along. Uh, meanwhile, Daenerys is furious at Tyrion for not seeing through Cersei's lies. Jorah speaks with Daenerys in private, admitting that he was heartbroken when she chose Tyrion as her hand, but believes that she made the right choice. We love Jorah scenes. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that, and the Varys is a merman uh, theory is the through line. I for can this podcast. promise you at least one Joris comment, Jorah, excuse me, and at least one merman comment in every podcast. If that's the type of niche content you're really into, um, but no, I really like this scene. Um, but it is we talked about this last week. Like, what is up with Tyr- Tyrion being portrayed like a damn fool lately? It's 
I'm all, I'm actually kind of curious to know how much of this specific subplot of hey give Tyrion some slack. Um, I'm curious how much of that is actually planned, and how much of that was a response to the overwhelming fan chatter of just Tyrion is making some pretty bad decisions. Yeah. What do you think? Who is who would have been the better hand, Tyrion or Jorah? You know my answer. <laughs> Honestly, I think kind of in hindsight. Um, you know, Danny's suspicion of Tyrion um, and his kind of split loyalty between him and people like Jamie, some of the Lannisters, um, and all that. I almost feel like you might be right. Yes. That Jorah might have been a better hand. Jorah won, Tyrion zero. Because you can count on Jorah's loyalty, um, unwavering loyalty. Um, and if you kind of put it up against some of the choices that Tyrion's made, yeah. I gotta and say loyalty. Going like way out. back to when Jorah had a larger role in Danny's decision making, like he made some good calls and he's definitely not just, you know, like a meat stick that walks around and breaks down doors. Like he's very intelligent and very informed about the world around him. And so I think he would have been the better choice for hand. Yeah. Um but who knows, maybe Tyrion will come around. Um, there is that scene where Tyrion kind of leans in and asks Bran, like, hey, what do you know? So maybe that might be setting up something for Tyrion. I feel um, like that scene's going to end up being a huge plot point. Um, whatever yeah. Bran revealed, gosh, I wish I knew. Um, but I think that is going to come back because it was so subtle and such like a quiet moment between those two characters that it seems like the exact place that Game of Thrones would hide a bombshell. Yeah. Just Tyrion leans over and is like, so is that Ferris guy? Is yeah. he a merman or not? Nah? It could be the merman reveal. Some people do think that um, Bran may have told Tyrion what's going to happen in the Battle of Winterfell to the point where maybe Bran told Tyrion who lives, who dies, um, and what to expect from that, which would be interesting in that it may ask us to re-examine Tyrion's behavior in the rest of the episode being very um, cynical about how this is going to definitely be everyone's last night um, and maybe you're interpreting that as he knows something that Bran told him um, either that it is really going to be their last night or that he's putting on a show yeah that is interesting to think about um, yeah the I mean on that note this is kind of the vibe of we're all going to die uh, just really informs so much of this episode. Um, and I quite enjoyed that about it. I did not like that about it. I mean, <laughs> it was just so lame to like watch all these characters give up after they were fighting for so long and for them all to prepare for this big grand battle, this final showdown, that this, and they're all going into it being like, well, we're going to blow it. And that was a big bummer for me. I felt genuinely a little disappointed in our characters for that. Maybe it's because I'm on the cusp of turning in my thesis that I'm in the same <laughs> space of, like, I have a week to live. Uh, no. Um, but, I mean, speaking of drastic measures that you might do with the knowledge that you are about to perish, oh, uh, some one interesting scene things that might. I loved in this episode. I think you should take it. Arya speaks to Gendry in the Forge and asks him about the White Walkers. Sansa and Daenerys clear the air between them on their mutual affection of Jon, but Daenerys has no answer when Sansa asks what will happen to the North once Daenerys takes the throne. All right. Uh, so, crucially, uh, the thing that Shannon was alluding to, uh, setting up 
uh, Arya and Gendry's uh, relationship, we find out that Arya's line of, I've seen uh, Death's faces, I can't wait to see what this one looks like. Uh, Gorgeous. It's not from a scene of, um, you know, her kind of being, you know, scary. Uh, it's kind of flirtatious. Yeah. Which, if you think about it, it's like, what does that mean for Arya? There was like, nothing more sexual, other than the, the later sex scene itself, than Arya, like, chucking knives against the wall so precisely and seeing Gendry's, like, just, like, eyes widen. Gendry's just like, yeah, I'd let Arya, like, throw a knife into my face. Yeah, if Arya can pin knives like that, I'd let her pin me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to the Sansa Danny scene, um, I did like this scene. I just want, I want them to get along. Like, it feels like such an unnecessary conflict for them to be at odds with each other. Um, that being said, they are at odds with each other because Danny could not provide a good answer as to what will happen in the North. Right. Um, and that raises the question, will there be a North to fight about? At this point, I'm leaning toward no. <laughs> right. Yeah, I kind of lean the same way. Uh, I foresee the North being torched in a storm of ice fire. Yeah, I was going to say, does it still count as being torched if it's like an ice dragon? I think I read somewhere when I was writing, like, description of... Mm-hmm. Uh, like the breath, uh, in for research purposes for that <laughs> writing course, uh, there is a distinction. Uh, we're going way off the rails now, but there is a distinction between um, like dragons that can breathe, like actual ice. Uh, those mm. are actual ice dragons that exist in the ah. books. Um, but Viserion does uh, breathe fire. It's this kind of blue. okay. It's just um, blue fire. I mean, fire can be blue. Yeah, hotter. Yeah, it's hotter. Um, <laughs> If if the if the Arya Gendry scene was next, that would have been a great transition. But alas, it is not. But it's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess digging more into the Danny Sansa interaction, um, you have some thoughts on it, the writing. Yeah, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. And then Danny gives this huge speech about I'm here because I love John, and he's the one that manipulated me to come save the North. Like that felt very forced to me. I would say it just seems like. The, the love connection between John and Danny, and it was very evident that they're attracted to each other, but I didn't feel like I was necessarily to make the leap into, oh, they're actually in love, um, and they would risk their lives for each other. I don't buy into that yet, as much as I just think they like to bang. <laughs> um, so that, that line felt a little, yeah, superficial and, yeah, fan servicey to me. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. And I'm just a softy, um, <laughs> so I'm like, aww. Um, but yeah, that that does uh, that does, yeah, that does ring true. I think it's also significant for, in in, in terms of a mechan- in a mechanical kind of how does this serve the script way. Um, I think that was kind of there to inform her reaction to John later in the mm-hmm. crypts when John tells her. Um, that he is technically the rightful heir to the Iron Throne. Uh, she's she's hearing that news out of a place of like, this is the second man that I've trusted, um, notably shorter. Um, <laughs> so when that like reveal comes, it's kind of like her, her it just shatters you know that perception of John uh, for her on an emotional level, but also um, in terms of her exter- of external goals for Danny of I need to land on the Iron Throne. So. I guess where I land on this interaction uh, with Sansa and Danny is like, 
Yeah. Yeah, cheesy maybe. It's um, it's at this point it's function over fashion. Like it's they need it and it works, but it's not stylish. It's like a Winterfell coat of armor as opposed to the Lannister. Yeah. Uh, gorgeous coat gown. Of armor. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, very gray. Um, speaking of the North and things that are gray, uh, this I suppose. Guy. <laughs> uh, Sansa and Danny are interrupted by the return of Theon, who declares that he wishes to fight for the Starks. Um, keep in mind that in this moment when Sansa goes for this, um, hug with Theon and it's this very intimate moment, all of us in the room, we were all at a watch party together, collectively went like, ah, don't get with Sansa! And then there was like a pause, um, and then we're like, oh no, he's a eunuch, like, we're good. There's not gonna be, um, a love plot that we have to fear. There's gonna be no Theon Sansa baby. So, if that was your concern, we can sleep sleep soundly at night. <laughs> yeah, Sansa Beyond Baby is uh, not a phrase that I ever want to hear again <laughs> in the rest of my life. Um, and it should be noted that, yeah, Grey Worm's also a eunuch, but let's, yeah, Theon's not Grey Worm. Yeah. Um, so, Don't we know it. Uh, yeah, more on Theon later, um, but... Sorry, we know you don't want more on Theon, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, this uh, for the sake of the podcast. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much all, all of our thoughts on that one line. Um, I guess moving right along. Yeah, so then we jump to Tormund, Beric, and Ed arrive at Winterfell and tell Jon that the army of the dead will arrive before tomorrow morning. At the War Council, Bran persuades everyone to let him be the bait in the godswood to lure the Night King who had marked Bran. Theon offers to defend Bran with the Ironborn. Yeah. Uh, so, in this scene, we get some crucial information on some semblance of motivation for the Night King, and that's to crush all of human history, um, which is pretty intense. I wasn't expecting that. Very dramatic. I think that's pretty rad. Um, was talking to former arts editor Kyle Kizu. Uh, um, he tweeted that memory is kind of the whole point of this story, which makes sense it is the song of ice and fire um which is kind of a title that memorializes a string of historical events um so it's interesting to think about how this uh motivation of crushing human history might be motivated by a theme that's kind of been under our noses um this whole time yeah no i definitely thought the prose that um, they give Sam to work with on this was just so elegant in the way that, yeah, they describe the Night King's motivation, and I think that's a really satisfying um, presence to have as the villain on the show, is this idea of erasing um, human history in the form of having an endless night. Yeah. Um, That being said, the rest of this scene and their strategizing in this scene (laughs) was so bad. Not great. Uh, They really, Game of Thrones, like, is really hit and miss in terms of its military strategizing. I am no military strategist, um, if you couldn't guess that. But... I think you're selling yourself short. (laughs) Um, But that being, like, having Theon, of all people, guard (laughs) Bran, and putting everyone in the crypts, like, this is, these are horrible ideas, you guys. (laughs) Like, Like, let it, let it be known that Jon Snow fully saw the Night King raise a bunch of dead people at Hardhome and still thinks it's a good idea to put people in the crypts at Winterfell. And also, if you know that, if you know the Night King is coming for Bran, like, put Bran in King's Landing and let the Night King do his work there and kill your two birds with one stone, in my opinion, and kill Bran while you're at it, please. (laughs) 
but no, really I hurt. I think none of us can trust Theon um, to keep Bran safe during this. Um, yeah. They're definitely going down somewhere in that 82-minute clusterfuck that's going to happen. The little kid that Gilly and Davos talk <laughs> to and give soup to would be better at protecting Bran, to oh be honest. Oh, my goodness. I just, I don't know why everyone was so on board with that so quickly. I um, mean, what's Theon going to do? Yeah, when was he, the last time Theon won a battle? He <laughs> barely survived that one Ironborn dude that he, like, took the boat from to go yeah. and rescue Yara. He barely survived that. Yeah. So, unless Theon just, like, rounds up a bunch of people to, like, help him, um, yeah, I'm not sure what going, what's going on through anyone's head in that moment, but Theon is doomed, Bran is also likely doomed, on account of Theon. Yes. Um, and that, as Bran told us himself, is gonna be a problem. Yeah, um, so chances of either of them surviving the next couple episodes, pretty slim. Yeah. Speaking of people surviving, is anyone else really shocked that Ed is somehow still on the show? <laughs> I think Ed's. Surpri- I think Ed is surprised that he's still on the show. Uh, he's gotta be. <laughs> like, there, it does not make sense that he's made it this it's, far. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for. Thank you for allowing me. I mean, would you be happy to be there? Part of me would be like, if I had to live in this world, I wish I had died in like season two, three. That is fair. I would want to have died in the prequels yeah uh, there's no good food all they eat is soup yeah um, it's cold everyone's probably gonna die no yeah I totally would have rather bitten it earlier I'm so the, sorry Ed the, uh, the behind the scenes uh, the behind the scenes like feature that HBO put out like showed some of the some of the bread like the bread props and I gotta say uh-huh. they don't look super appetizing no I uh, wouldn't imagine yeah, Westeros sucks. Anyway. Yeah. Um, what does not suck, though? Uh, seeing all the Starks standing yeah. at the head of the war table. I know you have some thoughts on that. That was just a really satisfying moment to see Arya, Sansa, and Jon all lined up at the head of the table, um, taking command and leading this as a family. Um, I did always want that. Um, no, yeah, I thought that was a really nice, subtle, even if the strategies they were coming up with were not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, some growing pains. Growing pains for the Starks. Uh, but but this together. is the this is the moment that ends with Bran and Tyrion um, gathering by the fire, and Bran spills some tea, but we don't know what it was. There is no tea in Winterfell. This beer that doesn't taste spills very good either. The beer. I don't know. That was bad. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Missandei, uncomfortable with the Northerners, suggests to Grey Worm that they go to her homeland of Noth after the war with the Unsullied to defend the peaceful people of Noth. John, Sam, and Ed reminisce about their time together in the Night's Watch. Um, yeah, no, this was just a fat tease. We know Grey Worm and Miss Sandy are... Both are one of them. Someone's gonna bite it, and it's gonna be really sad. Um, and this was the show just reminding us of that. It, uh, it reminds me of The Walking Dead in that literally anything... Like, any time you feel good about a character, like, that's it. That's, yeah. That's when you know they're gonna bite it. Um, also worth noting, racism exists in Westeros, and that's really disappointing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just yeah, an inter- it was an interesting and a very quick moment. Definitely not a subtle one. Um, but, yeah, disappointing, not necessarily unexpected. There's a lot yeah. of um, parallels um, between Westeros and the real world. There was an article on Vanity Fair. I don't remember who it was by, but it was kind of like, this is the show acknowledging 
how white it is. Um, but yeah. even then, it's kind of like it's not it's not really enough. Uh, it's just to kind of like acknowledge it, still not really do anything about it. Uh, especially if we like pretty much know that Masande and Grey Worm aren't gonna make it for very much longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Moving along, um, Arya asks Gendry why Melisandre wanted him, and Gendry recounts how she pretended to seduce him in order to leech his royal blood, revealing to Arya that he is Robert Baratheon's bastard son. Arya and Gendry make love as Arya wants to lose her virginity because she expects to die in the impending battle. Many thoughts on this. Arya better not die, I swear to God. I know a lot of people said this after this scene happened, but she's my favorite. She can't go. I think I was talking to a uh, former Daily Cal managing editor, uh, Human Yazdanian, um, in, in that it's just kind of like, okay, who's fulfilled their arcs? Um, I don't... Arya's whole thing is like, I want to be a warrior. Like, let me be a knight. Um, I mean, it's also kind of Brienne's thing too. But she just really wants to fight. Um, so, I mean, we're assuming that she's going to get that chance in the next episode. But if that's the culmination of her arc then would it, it's not too unreasonable that the show might kill her off, uh, which makes me sad. Makes me so sad. I would be so bummed if she did not make it out of this. Um, that being said, I did love this sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and so did a lot of people. Um, it's kind of what people have been wanting. Uh, just, I think there was that one tweet, I don't remember where it came from, but... Uh, a plus G equals, like, Tumblr exploding. Yeah. Something like that. And, but also another great tweet that came out was the one that talked about how this is one of the most, like, consensual and empowering sex scenes in the show's history. Yeah. Um, she's informed. She's doing herself. She chose someone she is attracted to and who has experience. Yeah. And no one is coerced, and it's, yeah, and it goes off well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's kind of significant in Game of Thrones for that very reason. Um, I think it was also worth noting, um, I don't remember where I read this, but I think uh, it said that David Benioff and um, D.B. Weiss uh, were pretty, like, they let uh, Maisie Williams kind of guide, like, how she wanted this to go um, in terms of, like, production being filmed. Um, so that's pre- that's worth noting. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, funny tweet from Joanna Robinson, uh, who does great Game of Thrones coverage for Vanity Fair. Uh, she says, Everyone wanting to talk about Arya and Gedry fucking instead of G- Jamie and Brienne eye-fucking is why I've never felt quite at home in this world, <laughs> and I hard agree. Um, so we've also got some thoughts on another kind of point that's easy to get buried in the scene, and that's that the reveal that Gendry is still a Baratheon. It's a show raising yeah. that point. We keep forgetting about that. And, I mean, there's an argument that it doesn't really matter so much at this point now that Robert's dead and Joffrey's dead as well. And so the claim of a Baratheon maybe doesn't mean as much anymore. But I, at least in my mind, that's still a big deal and, like, something that could come into play in unexpected ways, especially if there was... Um, if Arya got pregnant at some point um, with Gendry and was and there was a baby that had Baratheon and Stark blood, I know I keep talking about all these different babies that could potentially <laughs> happen, um, but a Baratheon Stark baby could be a big deal. Yeah, um, definitely would, and kind of uniting uh, these two disparate houses. I mean, the Baratheon house is also like 
pretty much done for. There's no more, right? Um, well, other than Gendry. Yeah, so that might be a step towards uh, rebuilding this house yeah. that's pretty much gone. Um, yeah, any more thoughts on uh, this scene? A lot of, you know. Oh, just that I hope we get plenty more Arya and Gendry content in the future and that neither of them bite it tomorrow or Sunday, excuse me. But <laughs> that would be a huge bummer. It would, definitely would. Uh, moving right along. Tyrion, Jamie, Brienne, Podrick, Davos, and Tormund gather in the meeting hall to drink before the battle. The conversation turns to why women like Brienne. Uh, the conversation turns to why women like Brienne cannot be knighted, and Jamie knights an emotional Brienne. Sam gives his Valyrian sword Heartsbane to Jorah out of gratitude for the influence Jorah's father Jor had on him. Yes, give Jorah the good sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, there was that one. There was like a meme that I sent you that was like. Uh, just the slow zoom on Dora's face yeah. <laughs> of just him being really bitter that uh, John gets uh, a Mormont sword and yes. also Danny. Everything um, that Dora ever wanted. Um, oh well. <laughs> but yeah, uh, some good Dora content. Uh, some good Dora content. But episode, no, yeah. I I know you probably really liked this whole like round really the fire. Did. I, I hate did. The, I was like asleep. I was like. <laughs> I was like, this just seems so... You mean you weren't awake for the really awful torment story? Oh, my God. I not only, like, thought I was sleeping, but I thought that was a nightmare, a nightmare. I was having. Um, oh, that, the torment stuff that was happening in this episode was off the chain. <laughs> uh, my takeaway is give Tormund a podcast. Um, I have some ideas. Torment time. Talking with Tormund. Bespoke, free folk, happy hour. There's more where that came from. Um, also... Tormund could be an awesome guest on Nicole Byer's Why Won't You Date Me podcast for reasons that we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but yeah, Tormund, going wild this episode. The whole giant titty thing, either you know or you don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about, uh, was absolutely absurd. It did like provide some much-needed comedic relief that, was, that completely came out of left field um, and added more fuel to this Jamie versus Tormund um, fight for Brienne's heart. Um, we clearly see that Brienne um, is more interested in Jamie, but who knows? What I do you mean, think? What do you think of that love triangle? I don't. I mean, can you blame her? The, the salt <laughs> and pepper is salt and pepper is pretty good. Um, also, yeah, I'm gonna echo the ringers, uh, Mallory Rubin, and uh, say that I think Jamie Lannister is the most the the best looking person in Westeros. Oh yeah. Um, but no, I mean Tormund probably smells. Um, probably smells. Yeah, just milk kind of caked in his beard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible image. I'm sorry. Um, as someone who's slightly lactose intolerant, him just chugging down like that horn full of milk <laughs> was horrifying, but also amazing. Um, just a whole mixture of emotions yeah. that Game of Thrones is uh, known for uh, eliciting yeah. in me. And, I mean, Jamie pulls out the sick move, right, where he comes out and he goes, any knight can knight a knight and provides Brienne this gorgeous moment where she's knighted. I do want to call BS on this a little bit. There is no way that a knight can knight another knight. Like, that is too easy. Everyone in Winterfell would be a knight if that were true. It would be like, give me 20 bucks and I'll make you a knight. Like... That, that sounds real shady to me. I just really <laughs> want to see the drive-through where it's just like a disgraced, yeah. like, lordless knight who's, like, going to stick his arm out of a window and just be like, you're a knight. Um, but, yeah, that being said, just Brienne being so happy at being a knight. Uh, I love it. 
I just love all of this. I don't care if it's silly. Um, yeah. And that probably reflects poorly on me. <laughs> but uh, no, I love this. I love all of this. Um, and yeah. just Tormund standing up and like smiling and clapping. Just, it was cute. It was it's cute. Wholesome. Warmed my it's cold, dead heart. Content. That being said, it probably doesn't spell well for Brienne. Um, no. Her arc really has um, tied up all its loose ends at this point, and she's gotten a lot of the closure that we've always wanted for her. Um, so in Game of Thrones fashion, that probably means she's going to die. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess, like, thinking about it, I mean, I don't want to see her go, don't want to see most of these people go, but I guess in terms of the fallout from that, if, uh, and this is, again, I got this, I heard this on The Ringer, but if Jamie sees Brienne fall, uh, will he then blame Cersei um, for not sending help when she could have? Um, would that offer some emotional reason for Jamie to yeah. want to kill Cersei? Um, we also, though, don't know how much Jamie actually does care for Brienne. Yeah. Uh, in my heart of hearts, I'd like to think I it's think a so. Lot. It seems genuine. Um, um, and I think an interesting um, thing to call back to is in season five, Jamie saying that he wants to die in the arms of the woman he loved. So, two things um, that could come into play in the Battle of Winterfell is maybe that he actually bites it um, in what would be a huge plot twist for fans, I think. I don't think anyone expects Jamie to die um, in the Battle of Winterfell. Um, so, he may die in the arms of Brienne, fulfilling his. Death, his final wishes upon his death or maybe it's a really sad moment where you realize he will never get to die in the arms of the woman he loved because Brian's dead not thoughts that I like to think <laughs> um, well I mean kind of getting back to the wholesomeness of this scene um, it, it is something that's a little divisive um, Alice, Alyssa Rosenberg of the Washington Post says that it's the little kindnesses that make this episode uh, and the scene so good. And I kind of agree on that. Um, it's just so rare in Game of Thrones, and uh, maybe that's just what I like. Uh, but also on Collider, Adam Goldberg uh, writes that uh, it's become too nice. So you've kind of got this axis of, like, uh, how much punishment should Game of Thrones kind of dole out on a week-to-week basis? Um, and I say, let me have this. Um, I kind of, I like having a little kindness sprinkled in there, but it does seem like two episodes, because something really awful happened in the first episode. Sorry, Lord Umber. Um, <laughs> but nothing really traumatic happened in that first episode, so I kind of feel like I'm being led um, into a nice, calm spot. But maybe... Battle of Winterfell will change all of that um, in a matter of 82 minutes. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely going to be some emotional whiplash uh, between now and Sunday. Uh, I don't remember who it was in our watch party, but it was just, uh, they said, you know, between Sunday's episode of Game of Thrones and Avengers Endgame, our hearts are just going to be crushed. <laughs> our uh, hearts will be, and the internet will crash. Just a week of crying. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. This round the round the fire conversation that's happening um, concludes itself with a song from Podrick, which was a fun um, little moment. It's one of the few songs left in the books that has not been sung on the show, so it was really nice to hear that. And it really evoked for me um, the scene where Pippin in Lord of the Rings, specifically Return of the King, is singing right before an impending battle, um, and that's an interesting call to me, especially given that. Um, 
we've been repeatedly told that the Battle of Winterfell will mirror the Battle of Helm's Deep in a lot of ways. So there does seem to be a lot of Lord of the Rings, um, yeah, borrowings that are happen happening. Yeah, um, really, just kind of sets up uh, some degree of expectation. Um, not sure if that's in the attempt to kind of subvert them, um, but yeah, yeah, Pod's got a nice voice. Um, notably, not Ed Sheeran. Notably, um, not Ed Sheeran, who, um, as you may have caught um, a couple episodes ago, is the redhead that one of the whores mentions to Bronn as having his eyelids burned off by one of Daenerys' dragons. Um, so if you're wondering, um, Ed Sheeran no longer has eyelids. And that is a fact. Um, <laughs> speaking of things that are definitely true, uh, I know you have some thoughts on the kind of significance of the, the lyrical significance of the song that Pod sings. Yeah, so having not read the books, from what little I can gather is that Jenny had this, um, well, the song I'll start with is called Jenny's Song in the books, um, um, referring to Jenny of Old Stones and... Jenny had a love affair with Prince Duncan Targaryen, um, and he actually abdicated the throne um, for Jenny to pursue um, a relationship um, with Jenny, which is very beautiful and romantic. But because of this, the Mad King Ares is who wound up on the throne. So all of y'all that love to analyze shit like this um, are wondering whether this song might be referencing John and Danny's relationship and maybe how one may abdicate the throne for the other or something like that. Or if it's a reference to Rhaegar and Lyanna's um, past relationship and how that ended up playing out. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway from all of this is that I'm amazed that there is a Game of Thrones character named Duncan. Almost as bad as there being a character named Harry Strickland. Truly. Uh, <laughs> I mean, who names her kid Harry? Seriously. I know. Um, <laughs> moving right along. Uh, you want to take this one, Shan? Yeah, I'm all over it. Um, so Daenerys visits Jon in the crypts, where Jon is standing in front of Lyanna Stark's statue. Jon reveals what Sam and Bran told him of his parentage, and Daenerys realizes that this makes Jon the true heir of House Targaryen and the Iron Throne. She angrily tells him that it's convenient that Bran is his brother and Sam is his best friend, so she has reason to disbelieve the claim. They are interrupted by horn blasts signaling the approach of the White Walkers and the Army of the Dead. This is it. This is it. Um, Everything's out on the table. Horrific timing uh, on John's part. It's total Stark energy right there. Horrific timing on the White Walker's part. Yes. Um, and just bad times all around. Um, it really is kind of indicative of John John's nedness, uh, I yes. guess, as a lot of people have said, yes. um, that he chooses this moment to tell Daenerys. Mm -hmm. Um of his parentage. Uh, this was something that uh, kind of like, okay, like the Varys is a merman theory and the drawer content. I'm just going to keep bringing it up. <laughs> I was in a screenwriting class uh, where we had to write a spec script for Game of Thrones. Um, and my class, uh, you know, we made it a point that all of the Starks were like, John, you cannot tell Danny right now. Um, and that was kind of a struggle for him to kind of uh, not spill the beans. Um, and for good reason, because John definitely would. Um, and maybe not to the best effect. Yeah, we have really no idea how Danny's going to um, move forward with this news, whether she's going to try to filet mignon John, too, or if she's going to kind of have a big character moment where she reconsiders um, that information and what she wants to do with it. 
Yeah, and it's kind of interesting to note that this registers for her most deeply on the level of this person might be a threat um, to the Iron Throne. Not necessarily that there is incest involved um, in her relationship with John, but it just really tells you where her mind's at. Um, yeah. And this could spell... Which, if you think about it, is almost contradictory in some ways to her being like, my mind is here because I'm in love with John. The fact that her first response was about the Iron Throne and not about John makes those moments feel contradictory to me. Did you just convince me that this was a bad episode? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I mean, this could mean bad things for the battle to come of just they might not be a united front anymore. Yeah. Um, this the the White Walkers might be striking at a moment of vulnerability. Um, Maybe this gives more fuel to the fire of Daenerys becoming the Night Queen, which is another popular theory that's out there um, with her choosing to be reunited with Viserion and potentially her other dragons should they be um, turned into white dragons, I guess. Um, but yeah, that could be another way that 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 challenge to the throne is circumvented in some ways. Yeah, and we also have some thoughts on... Because this it's a very good lead-in to uh, the next episode, which we have some thoughts on how that might play yeah. out. Yeah. Um, first of all, first question, we did not see Viserion at all um, when we saw the Night King travel um, and show up in Winterfell. We also didn't see him in the last episode, which leads me to wonder... Where the hell is the ice dragon? Um, and maybe the Night King sent him somewhere else. Maybe the Night King and Viserion are both going somewhere else. Maybe King's Landing. Ooh. Yeah. Um, this has been a theory that's been floated around of Winterfell is just a huge red herring. Um, where, and I believe we discussed this on our podcast, where the Night King and Viserion deploy the White Walkers and the Whites against Winterfell. Um, Our characters barely survive um, the battle, but to their detriment, the Night King and Viserion have, you know, taken King's Landing and, you know, amassed, you know, that sizable population um, against uh, Winterfell. So now you're fighting uh, a war on two fronts, the north and the south. Um, So that's a distinct possibility. Um, yeah, it's definitely, you have to wonder how they're, because they have, after this Battle of Winterfell, three more episodes that are all quite long episodes um, to fill up content, and you wonder, I mean, say they somehow defeat the Night King in episode three and wrap that up and then just have three episodes to focus on Cersei, uh, but that seems like a stretch to me. Yeah, um, it does seem like a huge uh, kind of left field uh, surprise to build up um, the Night King and kind of uh, do away with him pretty easily. But it also sort of makes sense to me in that Cersei is a character that we've been following much longer. It's yes. hours uh, that we've logged as viewers with Cersei as opposed to maybe like... Cersei definitely makes for a more compelling villain. and A lot of us are more invested in seeing us get what's coming to her versus seeing the Night King conquered. Um, so it almost would, like you said, make sense to see the Night King um, canceled early on um, so that we can fo- focus exclusively on this, what really boils down to a Stark versus Lannister versus Targaryen yeah. um, conflict that has roots in season one and has really been what we've been sticking around yeah. for. And who knows, maybe the, maybe the Night King actually kills Bran, erases human history, um, 
but still gets defeated by the end of next week. Um, so the Night King gets what he wants, but we lose Bran and kind of that collective memory. But maybe that could set up um, kind of a structural paradigm shift um, in the battle yeah. between... I mean, if there's no human history, then how do you determine who has a claim to the Iron Throne? Right, so that could be one way to just... Uh, an elaborate, uh, very... Um, you know, long gestating way of setting up this, you know, massive political mm. paradigm shift. Um, so who knows? Who, who knows? knows? Sunday but is going to be wild. We are excited. We do also wonder how much of King's Landing we'll see in episode three. We didn't get any in episode two. Um, so it's also leads us to wonder whether episode three will be a giant 82 minute battle in Winterfell exclusively, or if we'll see some other um, things happening along the way. Yeah. Um, also didn't see the Iron Islands, um, which we were sort of led to believe would have something important to do. Um, it's express purpose, um, for what, for according to what Yara said, is to have somewhere to retreat, um, should Winterfell fall. So, I mean, that seems, that seems like a pretty important, uh, thing to set up in that first episode there. Um, so who knows, maybe we'll... Maybe we'll see some of the Iron Islands as well as King's Landing. That's right. And, you know, if I was Lord Varys and I was trying to retreat to the Iron Islands, do you know how I would get there? I had no idea. I would swim with my merman tail (laughs) um, and get the hell out of Winterfell. Why go in the crypts where there's a bunch of dead bodies when you can go underwater? Here's my prediction. Uh, We see that shot of Varys looking pretty scared uh, in the crypts in the trailer. Uh, I say immediately after, he ups and runs, jumps into the ocean, and uh, survives this whole ordeal. Do I guess my question now is, do we think Varys has mermaid friends? That's a great question. Reinforcements, or is he a soul? See, that could really have some Lord of the Rings energies, like when Gandalf comes over the hill um, and brings reinforcements. Maybe Varus rises from a giant tidal wave in the sea with thousands of mermen <laughs> and saves the goddamn day. Um, and this was an Aquaman prequel. This was an Aquaman prequel the whole time. Jason, Jason Momoa in this universe. Um, was in oh, fact Cal Drogo before he was Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> and this could all be an interconnected universe. We did it. We did it. You're welcome. Um, We copyright these ideas. If they do show up... There you have it. There you have it. You You know who who said it first. This has been Real Talk from the Daily Californian. Um, Tweet us at Daily Cal Arts. Uh, If you have more questions or if you want to talk Thrones, we're always down for that. We love your conspiracy theories. Keep tweeting, keep posting, keep talking. Um, And so will we. You can catch us next week. Um, We promise to have lots of more hot takes and lovely surprises for you along the way. Yeah, pick up a paper um, as well as any Valyrian steel that you have within reach. And I hope whoever your favorite character is, that they make it out after this Sunday. (laughs) Harry wants everyone to die. That is true. All right, (laughs) right, thank you guys.